The Morons and Taylor Swift. Yay! The new way they're coming after your car. And fire alarms and White House Coke. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. <sighs> yeah. What is it, Tuesday? Already? Eh, not bad. Happy Tuesday. Just getting started on your day. Hope all is going well so far. Get up, get going. And thank you for spending a little bit of your day with me. I really do appreciate that. It, it, uh, it warms my heart. I know you're out there. You're watching. You like what we do here. If you really want to help out the show, just hit that follow button right over there. There is a follow button. Little green oval says follow click that sign up for an account you don't need to post videos or do a live stream you can if you want but rumble is completely free and uh, you'll be able to make comments you'll be able to talk in the live chat and you'll be able to get notified when we go live so be sure you've hit that follow button by signing up for a free account at rumble.com all right we got lots and all that stuff going on <laughs> some of it's unbelievable you will not believe tonight show you got a lot of crap happening right now what's not crap is blackout coffee one of our sponsors and we thank them for that it's an all-american company founded on the principles of conservative values the owners of this company believe in hard work personal responsibility family respect and american values in addition to all that they make a damn good cup of coffee. Folks, I drink a ton of coffee. It's always here with me on the show. It's first thing in the morning right through till bedtime. And it's blackout coffee. This coffee is incredible. Small batch roasting, which means, you know, you buy that coffee on the shelf in the supermarket. Who knows how long it's been there? Who knows when it was roasted? This stuff is roasted, packed, and shipped usually 24 to 48 hours from the time you order. Another few days for shipping delivery, you got a fresh roasted bag of beans ready to prepare into the most delicious cup of coffee you've ever had. I promise you, I guarantee it. Check it out. You just buy one bag. That's all you got to do. It's not terribly expensive. Pretty reasonably priced, actually. 14 15 bucks for a bag, something like that. That's not bad at all. And especially for this fresh roasted stuff. Support a company that supports our values and makes an incredible cup of coffee. By the way, if you're not a big coffee fan, they've got a full line of amazing hot cocoa flavors and teas also, so check that out at Blackout Coffee. Signature blends from Blackout Coffee. Look at that, Brutal Awakening, uh, Morning Reaper, Smooth Finish, nice. All right, check it out, Blackout Coffee. When you do, make sure that you use our promo code at checkout. There is a link in our show notes to get to the website. And use promo code J20 at checkout. 20% off your first order. That is a hell of a deal. 20% off your first order with our promo code J20, J-A-Y-20. And uh, that'll get you that deal from Blackout Coffee. Thank you, Blackout Coffee, for all that you do and for helping to sponsor the show. Taylor Swift is a moron, but you already kind of knew that, didn't you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how this woman possibly gets the kind of attention that she manages to get, but uh, where is my Taylor Swift story? Rutrow, hang on a second here. Our first link in the show notes is wrong. <laughs> Who did that? Who arranged our show notes? I don't know. Anyway, I'll show it to you here in just a second. 35,000 morons. The Taylor Swift problem. This is great by uh, Christopher Skeet. Oh, man. There was a uh, recent article from Newsweek. It was called, Why Republicans' War Against Taylor Swift Could Backfire. Talks about an ex-spat between the Federalist Sean Davis and left-wing activist Victor Xi in response to an excellent piece by Mark Hemingway, 
which detailed the shallowness, both technically and spiritually, of Taylor Swift's music. Taylor Swift is dumb, says uh, Davis, and her music sucks. <laughs> In response, she wrote, Nothing says more about how little Republicans understand Gen Z than them now saying Taylor Swift is dumb and her music sucks. After she registered more than 35,000 people to vote last week. Ouch. If you attack Taylor Swift, you attack Gen Z. Good luck, Republicans. You're screwed. <laughs> well, sadly, they're both right. Taylor Swift is indeed dumb, and her music beyond insufferable. As for her politics, though, they are this jumbled mass of tired cliches, contradictions. Uh, she's pretty much silent about her personal politics until about 2018. And then she succumbed to the woke mob, started parroting all of their platitudes. She owes her astonishing success to the fact that she's smarter than her dupable fan base. And that's not saying much, which is the point. Easy to disregard, Victor Xi and his rather sophomoric tweets. He's a 21-year-old privileged brat whose self-assured acumen is never troubled by the plagues of nuance, introspection, humility. He's also male, Asian, and rich. He's operating under pure delusion if he thinks he's going to get a chair when the intersectional music stops. But even when he's wrong, he's always right. About everything. All the time. It'd be a mistake to dismiss not so much she, but the mindset that she has. That's S-H-I, she. Not a pronoun. He categorically, sadly, represents Gen Z. And Gen Z is absolutely the future. And we would do well not to ignore it. Correct that criticisms of Taylor Swift, no matter how valid, are a mouse compared to the elephant of her influence over Gen Z. 35,000 of her fans registered to vote, most of whom will vote for whoever Taylor Swift tells them to, without question. How many people did Republicans register to vote during the same time frame? What's our strategy? Cross your fingers. Hope those 35,000 new voters don't live in Arizona or Michigan. This is a great line. Taylor Swift and her paint-by-numbers leftism is nothing new in pop culture. Pearl Jam, Marilyn Manson, Rage Against the Machine, Green Day and the like, they all now are the machine. Uniformly leftist, no qualms about shoving their politics down our throats and the throats of their audiences, and millions of confused, impressionable teenagers just lapped it up. <laughs> Tell me what to do. Do not discount this woman. Yes, her music sucks. Yes, she's a moron. But she's followed by millions of morons. And as this article says, she will do, and they will do, whatever she tells them to, like the good little sheeple that they are. Frightening, frightening, frightening. All right, Ms. Swift. Enough of that crap. <laughs> you know the Bowman thing with the fire alarm? By the way, <laughs> uh, what is it? The bum Not the Bumblebee. What's the satire site? Anyway, they did some really funny uh, posts on X today. Well, Jamal Bowman, who has said, oh, it was a mistake. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I thought it was a door opener and whatever other ridiculous bullshit excuses he's been coming up with. You know it had to happen when they just can't figure out what else to do. What do you do? 
blame it on the Nazis. Yeah, not kidding. Here's an article from PJ Media. He blames Nazi members of the GOP after the fire alarm scandal. You know what? I'm not even going to read this article because it's not even worth wasting my time or your time. Just know that the fallback go-to excuse, it's a Nazi. It's the GOP Nazis. Yep, that'll do it. I'm surprised he didn't mention the word MAGA while he was in there spouting off with his crap. All right. They're coming after your gas stoves. They're coming after your gas heaters. They're coming after your car. And, you know, there's a lot of ways around these bullshit going after you and your vehicles and your right to travel and own what you want to own. Well, they've found another way. The next way the left will go after your car. Your car is killing the planet, you know. You and, and other living things in a brand new way that will surely give environmentalists another justification to try and eliminate personal car ownership. And this time, it's your tires. Hmm. The drive's Lewin Day, late last week, reported on a number of studies showing that tire emissions, yeah, you heard that right, tire emissions pose a threat to global health. There may even be a whole host of toxic chemicals being shed from tires and brakes that have been largely ignored. They've been largely ignored because they're bullshit. One of those known as 6PPDQ, highly toxic to multiple fish, including coho salmon. The report doesn't indicate whether that it's in amounts actually that are found in the environment, which are so infinitesimally small as to not even count. Rubber is made up of over 400 different chemical compounds. Really? Left out of all this bias study crap is how cars actually save lives and lengthen lives and improve lives. Life expectancy, the quality of life, both risen hand in hand with the rise of the automobile. The left can spin it all they want, any which way they want, and they will, and they do. But from a life-saving trip in an ambulance, to a pleasant life in the suburbs, to our abundant food, which is transported over the road by vehicles with tires, all these things made possible by an internal combustion engine, and your tires. They're going to do everything they can. Read this article. It's from PJ Media. Here's the next damn way the left will go after your car. <laughs> it never stops. They'll never go away. White House Coke. The fire alarm scandal, which we talked about earlier with Bowman, raises questions, but not the kind of questions you might think. The fire alarm scandal raises new questions about cocaine gate. Oh yeah. On Saturday, the fire alarm went off in the Cannon House office building, an apparent attempt to delay the house vote. It took little time after the story broke for Capitol Police to review surveillance footage and determine that Jamal Bowman was the culprit. There's the picture taken from security footage of him pulling the fire alarm. 
the rather impressive ability of the Capitol Police to review the footage, release a still from that footage to the public, is very different from the inability at the White House and the Secret Service to reveal who is responsible for bringing in the coke to the White House. It happened a few months ago. I'm sure you remember it, although nobody talks about it anymore. You know, I made an uh, ex-post today. East Palestine, Maui, Lahaina, uh, the transgender shooter manifesto, Obama's chef death. Remember all these stories? Don't let them go. Don't let up. Keep them in your thoughts. Research them. Post about them. Do not let them die in the news cycle. Anyway, the media, the White House, will hope you forget about it. But as far as the public concerns is concerned, this White House Coke story is unsolved. The official story about the cocaine changed many times. The location where it was found, an investigation was announced, but from the beginning it was obvious the White House was not expecting anything to be done to determine who left the cocaine. Not only have we never seen even a grainy screenshot of the bag of cocaine, we're also expected to believe there were no fingerprints, no DNA, to link it back to anyone. Even Dan Bongino, former Secret Service agent, host of Dan Bongino show right here on Rumble, comes up at 11 o'clock this morning, right after my show. Be sure you check it out. Anyway, he was a Secret Service agent. His former colleagues in the Secret Service are furious. They know exactly who brought the cocaine into the White House. And yet the Secret Service quickly ended its investigation, citing a lack of evidence. Bullshit. Won't stop. It won't stop. What are you going to do about it? You going to call your representative? There is a link, by the way, every time in our show notes at the bottom of the list of all the stuff we talk about. It says, contact your representative. That is a government website. I know. But you go there and you put in your uh, you put in your zip code, and it will tell you who your representatives are in the House, Senate, all that stuff, all your local representatives. It's a cool website. You should check it out. And more importantly, is how to get a hold of them: email, phone, address. Use it. Get involved. Do something. I always say, just take little bites. You don't have to eat the whole sandwich all at once. Take little bites. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. What else do we do? Oh, man, this is a... I'm not going to celebrate this story because it is a sad story. But the irony that leaks off of this story is frightening. It's from the post-millennial. A leftist journalist who spent a career downplaying violent crime has been gunned down in his Philly home. Unbelievable, tragic story. Kruger called a man an idiot for suggesting one would die of a gunshot in Philly rather than COVID. That's him, Josh Kruger. He has been murdered, shot in his home in Philly. Here's one of his ex-posts. Look, it's that lawless land of liberals in Philly where shootings are dropping to levels not seen in years. Leftist journalist, activist based in Philadelphia was shot and killed inside his home on Monday, yesterday. He had a long history of downplaying violent crimes in Philly, often openly mocking those who express concerns about all the homicides in Philadelphia. Here's some of his uh, 
X posts. Some idiot just said you're more likely to get shot and killed than die of COVID in Philly to make some insensitive rhetorical point for his side. This is Kruger writing. Folks, four times as many Philadelphians have died of COVID than gunshots this year. I understand math is hard, but do better. He was shot several times at his residence in the 2300 block of Watkins Street, about 1.30 in the morning, according to a 6 ABC News report. Wow. Like I said, that is a tragic story, no matter how you slice it. Ironic? Yes. Tragic? Absolutely. Hey, Google, keep your freaking hands out of our lives. There is a new report. It's just been published. This is from the Post Millennial. The article's in our show notes. Google, listen to this. Listen. Google's algorithm has likely been determining election outcomes since 2015. Yeah. What is that, eight years now? Google has likely been determining the outcomes of upward of 25% of the nation's elections worldwide since 2015. No secret Google for years now been accused of censoring information. Many see that as a form of election interference. Recently highlighted by well-known American psychologist, professor, and author Robert Epstein, who back in 2019 warned the U.S. Senate Judiciary Subcommittee and on the Constitution that big tech companies, this is 2019, like Google, wield a massive amount of power and their abilities to shift opinions and votes without people being aware they are being influenced. Epstein, so prominent in his field, he was once editor-in-chief of Psychology Today. This guy's got the receipts. He describes himself as a center-center-left his whole adult life. He's been gathering data from Google since 2016 and says it's created a monopoly on search, well, we know that, with bias that has become a part of its passive monitoring systems. He put out a scientific paper on this search engine manipulation effect in 2015, after first beginning to study the concept in 2013, according to Undercover DC. According to the paper, listen to this, according to the paper, Google has likely been determining the outcomes of upwards of 25% of the nation's elections worldwide since at least 2015. He also said the effects of Russian-placed ads or fake news stories pale in comparison to the manipulation done by Google. Probably tilted millions of votes. Impacts elections more than many other efforts to change the results. Ballot harvesting, incorrect registration rolls, machine tampering, even censorship via partnerships with social media and government agencies, all of which, of course, the Twitter files showed that. But this guy who has all the credentials has said since 2015 at least, Google has been screwing with our elections and what basically amounts to destroying our democracy. It's frightening. We need to go back to the old days, hand counting ballots. Mm. Hey, I, somebody, I saw somebody on X post, uh, a, they, they posted a dollar bill with the serial number. And you, you've probably seen this meme. It's been around for a while. But it said, if we can put a different number on every bill we ever print of our money, 
why can't we have serial numbers on election ballots? It's a good question. Anyway, back to the old days. Swashbucklers and pirates? Well, believe it or not, crime has gotten so bad, it's now taken itself back to the high seas. Mm, not kidding. This article, as always, is in our show notes. You can read it. San Francisco. I left my heart in San Fran. Well, believe it or not, <laughs> of course you believe it, it's San Francisco. There are pirates in the bay. Mult <laughs> yeah, it's not bad enough on the streets. Now they've taken to the high seas. Multiple vessels have been stolen and ransacked. Victims have had to resort to personally confronting the criminals to cover their property without the benefit of police support. That according to a former harbor master. Amid a surge in crime, homelessness, San Francisco now faces the threat of maritime piracy. Yo-ho-ho -ho and a bottle of freaking rum. Bandits are descending upon the Bay Area ships, making off with cargo, making off with the vessels. Brock DeLapp, he's a former harbor master, during a recent town meeting said, the problem has brought considerable risks for people living at the docks, some of whom have had to personally fend off bandits seeking to steal their floating homes. You know, when I lived in, uh, in Key West, just a short side story, you know, really related, uh, there are a number of people there that lived in, uh, in houseboats. And uh, a friend of ours actually invited us to dinner one night at their houseboat. And it was amazing. It was really cool. I mean, when you're inside the thing, it just doesn't look that much different from a normal house, except that it moves a little bit. But they really are quite cool. And now they got to worry about pirates. Unbelievable. Apparently, multiple vessels have been stolen, ransacked. And uh, there is no police force. Well, I mean, San Francisco pretty much handcuffed their own police force anyway. They're useless. But they certainly are not out patrolling the high seas. So it's really up to people to uh, fend for themselves. I would assume, well, can you have guns in San Francisco? I mean, of course you can, it's a Second Amendment thing, but I'm sure they've found ways to regulate the hell out of it, so it's nearly impossible. <clears throat> you know where you can find guns? Where is one of the last places you might expect there to be a lot of guns? Say, the airport? Hmm. Well, that may not be true. This report from the Washington Examiner is weird. The TSA is finding guns in airline passenger luggage. Not once in a while. Nearly every hour of every day. Not kidding. This article just came out yesterday, day before. This is frightening. Gun seizures at U.S. airports nationwide are on the rise so much that a security checkpoint, the officers are seizing them at a rate equivalent to one every hour of every day. Airline passengers increasingly getting caught, arrested for attempting to bring guns on board aircraft, putting the U.S. on target to surpass last year's record high of, wow, 6,542 seizures, according to TSA. Insane. They warned Monday approximately 50,000 officers nationwide on target to blaze past last year's record. Officers had a third quarter high, 1,820 firearms nabbed between July and September. 19.8 firearms found every day over the last three months. 
Wow. This is insane. Look at that. Through the airport. I'm just amazed we haven't had another incident, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Crazy. All right, a couple more stories to go here, and then we'll move on to our book. Robin Williams' daughter is in the news. Has to do with AI. Oh, by the way, the writer's strike is over. So I would like to welcome back my imaginary writing staff. I uh, really missed you guys, and uh, great to have you back on the show again. If you notice, the show tonight's maybe a little more different. Uh, we got our imaginary writers back, and uh, it's it's great to have the staff here and enjoy having their company uh, throughout the day and in my imagination. All right. Robin Williams' daughter has been in the news. She says it is disturbing that AI is being used to replace her father's voice. Wow. Zelda Williams is Robin's daughter. Described artificial intelligence being used to imitate her father's voice as personally disturbing. She claims she's witnessed people using AI to create actors, even recreate, completely recreate actors, without their permissions. Some actors like her dad, who has of course since died, could not give their permission to recreate themselves with AI. William's statement comes after her father uh, killed himself back in 2014. I've already heard AI used to get his voice to say that whatever people want. And while I find it personally disturbing, the ramifications go far beyond my own feelings. In an Instagram story, Williams wrote, The actors deserve a chance to create characters with their choices, to voice cartoons, to put their human effort and time into the pursuit of performance. She added, AI recreations of actors, including voices, are a poor facsimile of greater people at best, and a horrendous Frankenstein monster at worst. Ms. Williams, I could not possibly agree with you more. I, I am a voiceover artist among the many things that I do. Uh, I have appeared in uh, TV shows and animations, uh, uh, online games and games. Uh, no Straight Roads was the uh, last one I did. We're working on another one right now. I do commercials and uh, corporate video voices. I do voices for all kinds of stuff. In fact, there is a Facebook page with uh, all the samples of my work on it, if you're that interested. It's called J. Sheldon Voices. Just check it out on uh, Facebook. Um, anyway, the ability for someone to take my voice, run it through AI, and then use my voice to voice your commercials or your characters in your films and animations without my permission, not to mention without paying me. No. <laughs> there has to be a line drawn. There has to be a line. I couldn't agree with more. There's more in that article there from uh, Robin Williams' daughter. You really should check it out. It's frightening. And I could, like I said, could not possibly agree more. All right. One more funny one. <laughs> I love this. Uh, this is a fellow who is giving a wrapped up, I don't know what it is. It looks like a Twinkie, although I don't think Twinkie packages are green. But this guy has this treat of some kind. It's wrapped up in a package. And he's about to give it to this monkey. But before he does, he rubs it in the dirt and then gives it to the monkey. Take a look at the monkey's face when a guy hands him the now dirty package. Watch. Look at this. It's like, what the hell, pal? And then he starts wiping the package off, wipes all the dirt. <laughs> Bites the thing open, 
gets the treat out from inside, and now, not knowing, he's wiping it off, too. <laughs> and then he eats it. But look at this. Look at this face. What the hell? Dude, that's my food. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> What a great fact. I love monkeys. I am so cooled out that I live in a country where monkeys are wild. It's, yeah, mostly macaques, but they're, they're, we have them in my neighborhood. We see them once in a while, climbing on the walls and rooftops. They're actually a big pain in the ass. Be grateful you live in a country where monkeys are not native. But I've always loved monkeys, so it's cool with me. I don't care. Oh, man. Oh, by the way, there's another thing going on in my neighborhood. There is, I'm sure it's an animal. It's got to be an animal, and I have no idea what it is. I did get a recording, but it's very quiet, and I'm going to try and get a better recording. You know the very small little tiny bottle rockets? The very, you know, the small ones that, well, kids shouldn't be playing with them, but mostly kids play with them. They just go... And they don't even they don't even have a pop at the end. They just pew like that. There is something in my neighborhood for the last week or so. And I've noticed it up the street, down the street, behind my house. Just tonight it was one house over behind the house. And it has this weird sound. It doesn't sound like it's actually an animal. It's, I thought it was somebody playing with little mini bottle rockets. Because it sounds just like that. That, pew! And that's it. I will get a recording, and I will play it for you. If anybody knows what the hell this thing is, let me know. I think because it's moved around different places. I really think it's an animal of some kind. But I have never heard anything like this. It's not scary. It's just weird. So, Jay's Mystery Animal. I will get a recording. I will play it for you. I've got one, but it's very soft. It didn't record very well. I'll keep trying. All right. Lord of the Flies. We read books on this show. We've been doing it from the very beginning, 462 shows ago. How about that? And uh, we've done mostly children's classic literature Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, White Fang, Jungle Book. Then we moved on to George Orwell's 1984, finished that up, moved to Animal Farm, and now we're doing William Golding's Lord of the Flies. We have made it all the way up to Chapter 3, which we're going to begin tonight. Chapter 3 from Lord of the Flies is called Huts on the Beach. Jack was bent double. He was down like a sprinter, his nose only a few inches from the human earth. The tree trunks, the creepers that festooned them, lost themselves in a green dusk thirty feet above him, and all about was the undergrowth. There was only the faintest indication of a trail here, a cracked twig and what might be the impression on one side of a hoof. He lowered his chin, stared at the traces as though he would force them to speak to him. Then, dog-like, uncomfortably on all fours, yet unheeding his discomfort, he stole forward five yards and stopped. Here was a loop of creeper with a tendril pendant from a node. The tendril was polished on the underside. Pigs passing through the hoop brushed it with their bristly hide. Jack crouched with his face a few inches away from this clue, then stared forward into the semi-darkness of the undergrowth. His sandy hair, considerably longer than it had been when they dropped in, was lighter now. His bare back was a mass of dark freckles and peeling sunburn. A sharpened stick about Five feet long trailed from his right hand, and except for a pair of tattered shorts held up by his knife belt, he was naked. He closed his eyes, raised his head, breathed in gently with 
flared nostrils, assessing the current warm air for information. The forest and he were very still. At length, he let out his breath in a long sigh and opened his eyes. They were bright blue, eyes that in this frustration seemed bolting, nearly mad. He passed his tongue across dry lips and scanned the uncommunicative forest. Then again he stole forward, cast this way and that over the ground. The silence of the forest was more oppressive than the heat, and at this hour of the day there was not even the whine of insects. Only when Jack himself roused a gaudy bird from a primitive nest of sticks was the silence shattered, and echoes set ringing by a harsh cry that seemed to come out of the abyss of ages. Jack himself shrank at this cry with a hiss of indrawn breath. For a minute became less of a hunter than a furtive thing, ape-like among the tangle of trees. And then the trail, the frustration, claimed him again, and he searched the ground avidly. By the trunk of a vast tree that grew pale flowers on its gray bark, he checked, closed his eyes, and once more drew in the warm air. And this time, his breath came short. There was even a passing pallor on his face. And then the surge of blood again. He paused like a shadow under the darkness of the tree and crouched, looking down at the trodden ground at his feet. The droppings were warm. They lay piled among turned earth. They were olive green, smooth, steamed a little. Jack lifted his head and stared at the inscrutable mass of creeper that lay along the trail. And then he raised his spear and sneaked forward. Beyond the creeper, the trail joined a pig run that was wide enough and trodden enough to be a path. The ground was hardened by an uncustomed tread, and as Jack rose to his full height, he heard something moving on it. He swung back his right arm and hurled the spear with all his strength. From the pig run came the quick, hard patter of hoofs, a castanet sound, seductive, maddening, the promise of meat. He rushed out of the undergrowth, snatched up his spear. The patter of pig's trotters died away in the distance. Jack stood there, streaming with sweat, streaked with brown earth, stained by all the vicissitudes of a day's hunting. Swearing, he turned off the trail and pushed his way through the forest till it opened up a little, and instead of bald trunks sporting a dark roof, there was light gray trunks, crowns of feathery palm. Beyond these, the glitter of the sea, and he could hear voices. Ralph was standing by a contraption of palm trunks and leaves, a rude shelter that faced the lagoon, seemed very near to falling down. He didn't notice when Jack spoke. Got any water? Ralph looked up, frowning. From the complications of leaves, he did not notice Jack even when he saw him. I, I said you got any water? I'm thirsty. Ralph withdrew his attention from the shelter and realized Jack with a start. Oh, uh, hello, water? Uh, there, uh, by the tree. Ought to be some left. Jack took up a coconut shell that brimmed with fresh water from among a group that was arranged in the shade and drank. The water splashed over his chin, neck, and chest. He breathed noisily when he'd finished. <sighs> Needed that. Simon spoke up from inside the shelter. Up a bit. Ralph returned to the shelter and lifted a branch with a whole tiling of leaves. The leaves came apart, fluttered down. Simon's contrite face appeared in the hole. 
Sorry. Ralph surveyed the wreck with distaste. <sighs> Never get it done. He flung himself down at Jack's feet. Simon remained looking out of the hole in the shelter. And once down, Ralph explained. Been working for days now. And look, two shelters were in position, but shaky. This one was a ruin. And they keep running off. Remember the meeting? How everyone was going to work hard until the shelters were finished? Except me and my hunters. Except the hunters. Oh, well, the little ones are. He gesticulated, sought for a word. Ah, they're hopeless. The older ones aren't much better, you see? All day I've been working with Simon, no one else. They're off bathing or eating or playing. Simon poked his head out carefully. You're chief. You tell him off. Ralph lay flat, looked up at the palm trees in the sky. Meetings. Don't we love meetings? Every day, twice a day, we talk. He got on one elbow. I'll bet if we blew the conch this minute, they'd come running. Then we'd be, you know, very solemn, and someone would say we ought to build a jet or a submarine or a TV set. When the meeting was over, they'd work for five minutes and then wander off or go hunting. Jack flushed. We want meat. Well, we haven't gotten it yet. And we want shelters. Besides, the rest of your hunters came back hours ago. They'd been swimming. I went on, said Jack. I let them go. I had to go on. I He tried to convey the compulsion to track down and kill that was swallowing him up. I went on, I thought, by myself. The madness came into his eyes again. I thought I might kill. But you didn't. I thought I might. Some hidden passion vibrated in Ralph's voice. But you haven't yet. His invitation might have passed as casual were it not for the undertone. You wouldn't care to help with the shelters, I suppose. We want meat. And we don't get it. Now, the antagonism was audible. But I shall. Next time. I've got to get a barb on the spear. We wounded a pig and the spear fell out. If I could only make barbs. We need shelters. Suddenly, Jack shouted in rage. Are you accusing? All I'm saying is we've worked dashed hard. That's all. They were both red in the face, found looking at each other dim cult. Ralph rolled on his stomach and began to play with the grass. If it rains, when we drop in, we'll need shelters, all right. And then another thing, we need shelters because of the... He paused for a moment, and they both pushed their anger away. Then he went on with the safe change subject. You've noticed, haven't you? Jack put down his spear and squatted. Noticed what? They're frightened. He rolled over and peered into Jack's fierce, dirty face. I mean, the way things are, they, they dream. You can hear them. Have you been awake at night? Jack shook his head. They talk, scream, the little ones, even some of the others, as if, as if it weren't a good island. Astonished at the interruption, they looked up at Simon's serious face. As if, said Simon, the beastie, the beastie or the snake thing was real. Remember? The two older boys flinched when they heard the shameful syllables. Snakes were not mentioned now, were not mentionable. As if this wasn't a good island, said Ralph slowly. Yes, that's right. Jack sat up, stretched his leg. Ah, they're batty. Crackers. Remember when we went exploring? 
They grinned at each other, remembering the glamour of the first day. Ralph went on. So we need shelters as a sort of home? That's right. Jack drew up his legs, clasped his knees, and frowned in an effort to attain clarity. All the same, in the forest, I mean, when you're hunting, not when you're getting fruit, of course, but when you're on your own, he paused for a moment, not sure if Ralph would take him seriously. Go on. If you're hunting, sometimes you catch yourself feeling as if he flushed suddenly. There's nothing in it, of course, just, just a feeling, but you can feel as if you're not hunting, but being hunted, as if something's behind you all the time in the jungle. They were silent again, Simon intent, Ralph incredulous and faintly indignant. He sat up, rubbing one shoulder with a dirty hand. Well, I don't know. Jack leapt to his feet, spoke very quickly. That's how you can feel in the forest. Of course, there's nothing to it. Only, only, he took a few rapid steps towards the beach and then came back. Only I know how they feel, see? That's all. The best we can do is to get ourselves rescued. Jack had to think for a moment before he could remember what rescue was. Rescue, yes, of course, all the same. I'd like to catch a pig first. He snatched up his spear, dashed it into the ground. The opaque, mad look came into his eyes again. Ralph looked at him critically through his tangle of fair hair. So long as your hunters remember the fire. Ah, you and your fire. The two boys trotted down to the beach, turning at the water's edge, and looked back at the pink mountain. Trickle of smoke sketched a chalky line up the solid blue of the sky, wavered high up and faded. Ralph frowned. Good spot to stop for tonight. We will continue on with that on tomorrow's show, so be sure and check it out. The continuing adventures of the Lord of the Flies. All right, folks, please don't forget to hit that follow button over there. It really helps the show out free for you. Sign up for a free Rumble account. You'll be able to chat in the live chat and make comments and follow folks like me. <laughs> All right. We will see you again tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Thanks for watching. Snort. <laughs>